right, good morning to you. We are going to finish up Philippians today. And um, I think what we are going to do, this would be edifying for all of us and pleasing to the Lord, we're going to actually do a summation of the book of Philippians. All the places we've been, the things we've learned, not everything. Uh, the way we will approach it is we will look at a highlight from each chapter. Sort of a, if you got nothing else from the book, but you got one of these things from each chapter, you would be doing well. That's kind of the idea, okay? Uh, let's go ahead and open to Philippians, and then we'll open in a word of prayer here. Lord, we do thank you for this letter that was written to real people like us, Christians, Lord, who are in need of God's grace every day, in need of encouragement, in need of rebuke, in need of instruction, in need of comfort, in need of uh, praise, Lord, when we do right. And we thank you for this letter. We pray that you would help us to, once again this morning, uh, before we move on from the study of it into another epistle, help us, Lord, once more to make it personal, to apply it, that it might change our lives this week and for the rest of our time here while we serve you on this earth, Lord. We thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray for your help to speak your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A summation of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. This is the theme of the book. I understand that uh, most of the time when you look at a, a curriculum or a commentary, they will say that the theme of Philippians is joy, and I do I believe that. I believe that it is a part of the theme. I believe the fuller theme of the book is what you read here. Stand fast in Christ and let his joy shine through you. Uh, in numerous places you will see Paul encouraging the Philippian church to stand fast in the Lord at least. And even though he may not always use those exact words, in every chapter, in some form or fashion, he encourages them to do just that. Uh, because if you think about it, how can the joy of Christ really shine through me if I'm not standing fast in the Lord, right? And, uh, but again, if, you know, I have no issues with saying that joy is the theme of the book, that's fine. But this, I believe, is a, a fuller representation of what the theme of the book is. So in chapter 1, as we consider kind of wrapping up the entire book of Philippians, let's hit a few highlights. Uh, the first highlight that we run into in chapter 1 is this challenge to us right here. Approve the things that will carry through to eternity. Look at verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. The phrase, things that are excellent, is actually made up of a single Greek word, a participle. The root of it is made up of two words that literally mean to carry through. Uh, when it tells us in the book of Mark that Jesus rebuked those who sold and bought in the temple. And it says that he would not suffer any man to carry any vessel through the temple. That's the exact same word. And that's the exact same idea. Something that will carry through. 
And so God tells us here in verse 9 that he wants us to grow in Christ-like love, in discernment, in biblical judgment, and he wants us to test, to put to the test, the things in life and to prove those things and to find out what those things are that will actually carry us through life for the glory of God. Not everything will carry you through the Christian life. Not everything will build eternal rewards for the Christian. Yes, salvation is a done deal, but there is the reality of earning or losing rewards in Jesus Christ. And not everything will enable me to fulfill God's plan for my life, and not everything will carry me through so at the end of my life I can say, I have lived my life for the Lord. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And so God wants us to pursue, to put to the test things that make God happy, and anything that doesn't pass that test, and anything that will not carry us through the Christian life, we need to get rid of. Things that we need to keep, put to the test and hold on to are things like kindness, contentment, purity in mind and in body, faith, meekness, humility, which we will look at in depth here in a moment, sound wisdom, graciousness, love, witnessing, study of the scriptures, and many, many other things. And if you thought all those sounded like fruits of the Spirit, they are. Every last one of them. And so some things will carry you through this life and others will not. The world will never present to you anything that will carry you through to eternity. Never. The world will present to you things that sound good and feel good. But they will never present to you or promote things. You're not going to drive down the highway and see a billboard put up by the world that is promoting things that are going to carry you through in the Christian life. Never. Okay. So put to the test the things that will carry you through. And though you may not have much physically... That you may not have a whole lot in your life, or though you may not have many friends, whatever the case may be, if you are holding on to the things that the Bible says will carry you through, like the things we just read about, you will be doing well. So put to the test things. Don't just accept everything. Like uh, John tells us in the book of John's, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. So then we come to chapter 2, and our second challenge Practice Christ-like humility. And we could stay here for a very long time, but we will look at this with the time that we have, and we will consider how important this is. Folks, the Christian life is a call to humility. God absolutely hates all pride. And I do understand that there are times when the word pride can be a term more of semantics than anything, but I want us to understand you can search the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. You will never, never find God telling you or encouraging you to be proud. Okay? Now, I'm not going to get into this this morning. I don't want to start a controversy and create misunderstanding. But God never tells us to be proud of our family, our country, ourselves, our actions. We are commanded to be thankful, courageous, faithful, merciful, brave in Christ. Those things we are commanded to do. And if you think about it, applying those things will actually make you a better citizen than being one who is proud. 
Anyway, that's not the main message this morning. The point is, God never, never, never commands you to be proud. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. You say, I want to distance myself from God. Very easily. Very easy. Just be proud. Just start exercising any type of pride in your life. I did a good job. I'm proud of myself. It was good. Starting to distance yourself from God. Son, good job. I'm proud of you. Starting to distance yourself from God. How about a good son? Good job. I'm so grateful you made that choice. Let me go thank the Lord for that. Interesting thought. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Let's look at pride, how much God hates pride in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Surely he scorneth, that is God, scorneth the scorners. The one who scorns God or is proud at God, God rejects them. This verse is quoted in a different fashion, I believe. This is what uh, James is referring to uh, when he says he resisteth the proud. But he giveth grace unto the lowly, verse 34. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We didn't even read the text. I forgot. (laughs) Let's look at verses 1 through 5, the challenge to us. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, if the Christian life is worth living, (laughs) you know, that's almost what he sounds like he's saying. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There we see that steadfastness. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. There's the humility. Let each esteem other better than themselves, putting God and others before yourself. Not just thinking, well, I'm pathetic, but not thinking about yourself at all and being focused on the Lord and focused on other people. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What helps you more than it helps me today? That's humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to tell us who being in the form of God Thought it not Robert equal to God. Yet in this, even though he was God and is God, yet he humbled himself. He did things he did not have to do for the welfare of me and for you. And ultimately that ended in the death on the cross and the resurrection. And he forever wears the scars of my sin, a sign of his humility and his grace and his mercy. Christ's example is the ultimate perfect pattern for me. I know it's cliche-ish, what would Jesus do? I understand that. But there is reality to that, to that saying. You need to think about it. Before you open your mouth, before you make a decision, what would Jesus do? That has saved me from doing many stupid things. What does humility look like? Here's just a few examples. And there are many, but here's just a few things that you and I face every single day. Humility looks like submitting myself to someone else's needs. You know, I don't want to do that, but they need me to do that. They may not even know they need me to do that. They may not even want me to do that, but I need to do that. And so I submit myself to the need of that person. 
Sincerely acknowledging my sin to my spouse. Probably one of the most difficult things to do. I know it is for me to look at Sandra and to say, Honey, I was an idiot. I'm, I sinned. Please forgive me. No, not just I'm sorry, but would you forgive me? There's a difference to those two statements. I think there, there's for me personally. I think it's easier to say I'm sorry, and it's a little harder to say would you forgive me. That takes humility, and you will not do that in the power of the flesh. That will only be done by allowing Christ's spirit to fill you. Asking your children to forgive you when you behave wrongly in front of them. Well, I should never have to do that. They're my kids. are in my house. They can shut up. They don't like you. Know, you can have that attitude, but it will lead to you losing your children. I promise you. And if you don't, it's only by the grace of God that it won't happen. But your children will have issues. Guaranteed. Because they see hypocrisy. They see the rules apply to everybody but dad or mom. And they associate that with hypocritical standards in the Bible. There are none, but they, they create those, those roadblocks in their own mind through those things. And so sincerely asking for forgiveness. It's not like you're, you know what, you think, well, my kids won't respect. No, your kids will respect you more because they know you're human and they know that you are willing to admit when you are wrong and when I am wrong. Humility looks like letting my coworker win an argument. What do you mean? You know, you can present somebody with something true at work and you do not have to walk away from that conversation having the upper hand. You do not have to type something into Facebook and have the last word either. You don't. It's perfectly fine if you tell someone that Christ died for them and that he loves them and that they, they make you look that tall through their reply and you say, well, I think it's time to go back to work. You don't have to stand there and continue taking it, but you don't have to have the last word either. That one's hard for me. Is that hard for you? That one's hard for me. I want to prove I'm right. And sometimes I think my motives for wanting to prove I'm right are good. Well, I just want Jesus to win. Well, Jesus is already won. He doesn't need me to win for him. You know, that, that's a big one for me. Um, I thought about this. Okay, I understand that we are in a time where there are things, the rules are with this whole COVID-19 thing and, and masks and all that, we are in a fluid time where the rules aren't the same for everybody. There's, uh, there's um, contradictions. And none of us, I don't think there's a person in this room who enjoys donning a mask when we go into a store. And I was reminded of this when I, uh, this week, as Sandra and I did some shopping on Saturday and went in and out of places. Humility can be as simple as shutting my mouth and putting my mask on before I go into a store. Because here's the point. Okay, and maybe I'm, I'm going to know I'm going to step on some toes with this, and that's fine. I've, the Lord's already stepped on mine, so join in. It's not the little girl's fault at the front of the store with the clicker. It's not her fault. Okay? And when I go up to her and I'm like, I ain't putting my mask on, and I just go in the store. Okay? Though I wanted to do that this week. Okay? Uh, that, didn't, that would not do a single thing. Not a single thing to bring that little girl closer to Jesus. It's only going to do everything to drive her just a little further away. Okay? Nor does it put me in a position, should the Lord give me an opportunity in the future to ever witness to her or to help her, nor does it, it does not set me up for that at all. Okay. She says, oh yeah, I remember you, you're the jerk, you wouldn't listen. Um, and so for me, as I went around shopping this week, 
It went in and out of places, and even at work. Because when this first became a requirement at work, we have to put one on when we go talk to people at the counter, when we go to get parts. Um, we're not wearing one when we're in our bay. It's too, it's too oppressive when you're... It's physical labor that we do, very physical. So it's too oppressive, and, and it's really not healthy. But when you're in your bay, that's fine. When you go out and you go and interact with people, you put it on. That aggravated me. Okay? It did. The Lord reminded me, Chris, it's not about you being uncomfortable. It's about your boss who needs to see a Christian example. Who's already admitted to you that he struggles with that because of hypocrisy he's seen in his dad and mom. It's about the two little co-workers beside you who are, who are lost and need Christ. It's about that other guy who looks up to you and will most likely mimic what you do. Uh, yeah, and he just went down the list with all my co-workers who need Jesus. You know what? My own discomfort with my mask kind of just became a little less important after that. That's a big one. I think that one really applies with what we're all going through right now. Uh, cooperating. Humility can look like cooperating with laws that don't violate God's commands. And this is one of them. And all these restrictions, for the most part, are one of them. And uh, can things go too far? Oh, yeah. You know, and when uh, I'm grateful for President Trump saying, uh, leave the churches alone, let them meet, you know, things can go too far. Absolutely. But there are a lot of rules that I can, that I can uh, cooperate with that do not violate God's commands or principles. And it's time for me to just say, Chris, shut up. Put your pride away. God hates it to begin with. And just let Jesus shine through you. Do you like a gracious pastor? I love a gracious pastor, a kind individual. Okay? I think pastor is gracious. I appreciate that. And I've always appreciated pastors who, even, even when there's a situation that arises, and you can tell they're aggravated, they still just let Christ's grace shine through. Uh, my Bible college president was that way, Brother Alton Beale. And you could tell him when he was aggravated that he, just the grace of Christ, he just let that shine through. Because other people were more important than his own aggravations. And I'm just the opposite in my default nature. And so I like to remember men like that. And I like to think about how they would handle a situation if they were here. And I want to be one of those people. And I hope you do too. Humility can be as simple as keeping my mouth shut when someone slanders me. I've never had anyone slander me. Well, you haven't been paying attention. Oh, heed not unto, pay not heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For thou thyself knowest that thou likewise in thine heart hast cursed others, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I need to crawl under the pulpit reading this one. I do this. Ah, oh, man, this is not good. And so, keeping my mouth shut, not slandering other people, and not reacting when it happens to me. There's not, <clears throat> when it says, um, I've heard people misuse this passage. When Paul told Timothy, he said, let no man despise thee. That is not a direct command to Timothy. It's actually a third-person command. And it is the idea of saying, this is true, just accept it and let God take care of it. That's not a command to Timothy to run around and put on fires and to defeat all of his enemies that speak ill of him. That's an indirect command to Timothy, to Timothy saying, son, rest in God's power because ultimately no man can despise you and please God. 
If you're on God's side, you're going to be just fine. And so I don't have to run around on social media, and I don't have to run around in church, and I don't have to run around in my family and put out all the fires that I think are happening, people talking ill of me or talking ill of this person. And there are times when we need to stick up for other folks. I understand that. Uh, but I don't have to worry a thing about what people say about me. Because the truth is, if my life is an open book, then it's fine. But if it's not, well, then I'm going to get a little more aggravated, right? Keep a clear conscience before God and men will really help us with this one. And so the humility of Christ, ouch. Was that painful? It was painful for me. Third, chapter 3, draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ. We approach chapter 3 and we're reminded of sanctification. Look at verses 12 through 14. Paul says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, I persecute, I pursue, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A little bit of a mouthful, huh? What Paul's talking about here, ultimately he's talking about positional and practical sanctification. He's saying, Jesus already has his arms around me. The moment you got saved, you got all the righteousness you needed to be pleasing in the sight of God. Because you are in Christ the moment you receive him into your soul. Okay? The moment you receive Christ, you are as righteous as you need to be and as, as righteous as you will ever be to gain access into heaven. That is a positional reality. For okay? he has given us his righteousness. He made him to be righteousness for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are made that. That's a positional truth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For he that is Christ, by one offering, hath perfected forever. That verb, the tense of that verb, has the idea of it was done here. It's good for now. And it will be good for any point in eternity. It's the perfect tense, the strongest that there is. And so he has the idea, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified have been sanctified at some point in the past. Okay. And uh, it's, a, it's an everyday truth. An everyday truth. And so here I am. I'm in Christ. Paul says I'm in Christ. Positionally, it's a done deal. But you know what? Because of that, I want to get a little closer to him every day. I want to apprehend that for which I'm already apprehended. I just want to keep getting a little closer to him every single day. That's exactly what John meant when he said in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him, the hope of Christ returning, purifieth, or literally is purifying himself, even as he, Christ, is pure. So this is not a, this is not a license to sin, but an, an encouragement towards sanctification. Letting God draw me a little closer to Jesus every day. And for me personally, I've noticed the way that God does that every day is he whittles away a little more at my pride. 
little more. Oh, there's a spot right there. We'll get rid of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that big chunk we got rid of last year, there's still a few parts clinging on there. It's starting to grow back. We'll get rid of that. Yeah, brush that up a little bit. All that thing that you thought was acceptable a year ago, and I've been telling you for a year, that's no longer, you know, just every day. Whittling away at that human pride a little bit more. Putting me in situations that hurt and are aggravating and are humiliating and demeaning to just keep whittling away at that pride. Not that I become some mealy mouth, uh, uh, gutless loser who doesn't stand for anything. That's, that's not what humility is. Okay? It's the idea of just submitting yourself entirely to God and putting him above and beyond anything else and letting him work through you. Draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 is a verse speaking of practical sanctification. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we are. One day we're at this glory. We're looking into the mirror of God's word. We're seeing things that need to be changed. The Lord's convicting us. The Spirit's working on us. We submit to those things. And then we're in this glory. And we're in this glory. And we move a little closer to Jesus every single day as by the Spirit of the Lord. It doesn't happen without the Spirit of God working in me and saying, nope, that's wrong. Or yes, that's right. And using His Word and helping me understand it and apply it. That's an everyday process and it never ends until I become like Jesus according to... Um, the end of the uh, the end of the chapter here who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby is able even to subdue all things unto himself practical sanctification but it's only true because of that positional reality i have already been apprehended keep moving closer and closer to jesus and then fourthly fill your mind with good thoughts and beliefs and let's carry that a step further. Not only fill your mind with good thoughts and beliefs, but let those thoughts and beliefs affect your heart and then let them find their way out into your hands. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... If there be any praise, think on these things. And then we see the encouragement in verse 9 to let those things affect our hands. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. <laughs> and the God of peace shall be with you. True, that which is real, genuine, honest, it's an interesting word. It has the idea of something that is venerable. Uh, something that is dignified, something that is serious, something that is worthy of respect. Uh, it is a word that is akin to, if I remember correctly, the requirements for a pastor, deacon, and elder to be sober. Same idea. Uh, God doesn't want you to be a clown Christian. You know, he wants you to think about wants just you and me to be mature. Silliness and foolishness, what are those typically characteristic of? When somebody's acting, when you have a 80, uh, an 80-year-old person acting like they're, you know, they're silly and foolish, what do, you, what do you say about them? Oh, they're 
immature, right? They're childish. Those are childish traits. So when I act that way, when I'm a silly and I make light of everything, you know, and humor's fine, and I enjoy humor. I think it's important. Uh, but when I'm silly and foolish all the time, I just make light of everything, that is in direct defiance of what God tells me to think on. Put your mind on these things. And it's literally the idea of reckoning something or logging something down. And it is a present imperative. So it's the idea of you do this and you just keep on doing it. Well, when do I get to stop thinking about things that are honest and just? Never. Because if you do, what's going to come in? Ah, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, right? So what's going to end up making its way back into my mind? Wicked thoughts. You know, we, just, we don't naturally just wake up thinking about God and his goodness, right? You don't just naturally get up from the table saying, boy, God prepared that meal for me. That was so nice of him. I'm so grateful. What's the default mode? Well, why didn't I have this? And why don't I have that? And how come this? And how come that? I mean, that's what the world does, right? Well, if God's God, then why does he let all these bad things happen? Well, why does he let you have dinner every day? You know, why didn't he just kill you dead? That'll end the conversation quickly. You know, so, I mean, that is my default nature and yours. So God says, I want you to think about things, consistently think about things that are true and honest, just, that which is righteous, pure, holy, chaste, innocent, lovely, things that are pleasing, agreeable, or amiable, good report, things that are praiseworthy. A question I'll ask myself when I find my mind wandering, which is often, being transparent with you, I will ask myself, uh, Jesus is here. <laughs> uh, what do you think he's thinking about this thought right now? <laughs> uh, that will pretty much tell you whether it should be there or not. Okay. And uh, it isn't even just your thoughts. It's what you're, it's kind of like just the whole direction you're going in the day. You know, what do you, what's your motive for what you're doing? What's your drive? What's your, you know, when you're, when you're happy, why are you happy? Oh, man, I feel good about myself, or I'm just having a good time, or uh, I just feel good. You know, what, what is the motive for doing what you do? What is your mind dwelling on? Is God in your thoughts throughout the day? You know, when I'm turning those wrenches, and it's, you know, I'm trying to figure out this bizarre, elusive electrical issue, and I'm frustrated and angry, I have to stop and ask myself, well, where's God in all this? You know, where is he in all this? He's there. He needs to be there. But if he's not, that's the problem. And so push out those things. You know, the world, the world isn't going to help you with this list at all. There isn't a social media site, a website, a, uh, a worldly philosophy book, a billboard, or anything that's going to help you with this list. The primary thing that's going to help you with this list is right here. And so fill your mind with this and think about these things. You say, well, you know, I'm just not good at memorizing scripture. Maybe not as good as some people. But let's stop making excuses. So, well, I can only memorize a verse a month. Not a problem. That's good. That's fine. Sandra has this little Bible app. And uh, she wouldn't mind me telling you this. She struggles with memory, verse memory more than I do. She has a Bible app and she uses it. Right? And she memorizes so many verses. A month, and sometimes she has to go back and rememorize them because they were in short term and didn't make it into long term. But, you know, she's doing it and she's being encouraged by them. And it's important for all of us to get our mind in these things, to hide these things in our heart, you know, 
Start with the Psalms. Psalms speak to everybody's situation and uh, everybody's daily struggles. Start committing those things, the verses that are easier to heart and to memory. Hiding those things in our heart. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And so think on good things. Fill your mind with good thoughts, good beliefs. Let those things work down into your heart and make their way out into your hands that Christ might be glorified. And so we come to the end of the book, chapter 4, verse 20. And here we find a group of people who had stood fast in the Lord, who were rejoicing in Christ, who had caused joy in the life of Paul in his time of need. Paul closes the letter with some interesting acknowledgments and some interesting salutations that are easy to gloss over. It says in verse 20, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And if that isn't the truth, I don't know what is. I don't have a thing to glory in except what God has done for me and will do and does for other people. When I start to feel good about myself and that human pride starts to creep back in, I don't want to submit to a situation. I need to come back to this verse. Remember, now unto God and our Father be glory. Verse 21, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. He's telling them, hey, tell everybody there at the church of Philippi, said hi. You know, tell them all I love them. The brethren which are with me greet you. And then he says, all the saints salute you chiefly or especially they that are Caesar's household. And because the Philippian church had stood their ground and chosen to walk in faith and the humility of Christ, indirectly they were responsible, they were a part of the salvation of those in the very household of Caesar himself. You talk about the, saint, the seat of Satan. Okay? Caesar's household would have been one of those places. And even there, God's grace had penetrated and was doing a work, and the church at Philippi could say, by God's grace, we were indirectly involved with that. Praise the Lord. So let's stand fast in Christ. And verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's stand fast in the grace of Christ and let his joy shine through us together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this book. What tremendous lessons. And Lord, uh, thank you so much that it just steps all over our human pride. And Lord, that it just encourages us every day to be humble and to allow you, you to do your work through us and in us. And we're grateful for that. It's a painful thing, but we're grateful for it. We thank you for that, Lord. Pray that you would guide and direct in the rest of the service. Be with the kids as they sing, we ask. Be with pastors, he brings the word. And Lord, help us to edify and encourage each other in the humility of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.